our Constitution prevents people who betrayed their solemn oath, as Trump did here, from serving in office again. Trump engaged in insurrection and therefore cannot appear on the ballot. No person, not even the former president, is above the law. That was attorney Eric Olson speaking in a Colorado courtroom on Monday. Olson is representing a group of Colorado voters who are challenging whether former President Trump is eligible to be president again. The long shot trial resumes this morning. It centers on a section of the 14th Amendment that disqualifies anyone who engaged in a, quote, insurrection or rebellion from holding federal office. Challengers used Trump's own words against him on the first day of this trial, playing clips from his speech on election night 2020 when he falsely claimed victory, and from January 6, where he urged his supporters to, quote, fight like hell at the Capitol. With us this morning in the studio, Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie. Governor, good to have you. Uh, you, you said it was that night, election night 2020. You're sitting on the set at ABC News, your contributor, and that's the moment when you decided no longer can I back, back this yep. guy. Do you think, as you're a lawyer, as you read Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, do you think that that precludes Trump from serving as president? I don't. Um, I don't. I, I think you'd have to be convicted of insurrection or rebellion, not just accused of it. Uh, and so I don't think it does it. Um, okay, can we play this out? Yeah. If convicted, because this has been used against two convicted uh, people from the insurrection, both in, I think it's New Mexico and West Virginia, and they have been removed from lower offices, though, because of this. Would that hold for a convicted Trump? If sure, sure, would if he were convicted of it. But the problem is, even in the January 6th federal case, he hasn't been charged with insurrection or rebellion. That's right. So there's not going to be a verdict against him on that. And, and, and I think on a, a, in a bigger way, I think it would be bad for the country for him to be removed from the ballot on what would be seen by a lot of people as a legal technicality. I think the much better way to go about it is to beat him. I don't think he has any business being president of the United States again. And I think we have to defeat him at the ballot box because you see the way he was when he was defeated at the ballot box. He wouldn't accept it. Can you imagine if a judge or a group of judges kicked him off the ballot? Um, it, would, it would cause such tumult in this country that I would much rather have him defeated in an election uh, than this way. And because of the way he's charged, I don't think it could happen. Mm. Um, we want to talk about policy. Uh, in particular, foreign policy, obviously, given what we've been mm -hmm. covering the last several weeks. Um, there have been, I think, almost two dozen attacks on U.S. bases or U.S. troops deployed in the region by Iranian proxies over the course of the last several weeks. The U.S. has uh, struck back uh, in at least one case in Syria. Um, is that enough? Do you believe that President Biden's response to those proxy attacks uh, meets where it should be right now? Look, I think that we have to make really clear to Iran uh, any more of these games and things are going to get a lot heavier for them. And I think the president needs to use that language. I think he has to let them know um, that these type of attacks, while maybe not directly connected to what's going on in Gaza, um, we know the game they're playing. And they're trying to incite regional war. So it's a very fine line to walk when you're president. Um, but you can't allow uh, any other country, even through surrogates, to indiscriminately attack American men and women in uniform. So they continue to do that kind of stuff and it causes death or injury, right. then you gotta strike back harder. But what more, so they've sent two carrier groups, obviously they have a rapid response force of Marines that have all moved into the region precisely to try and stop uh, act, regional actors from acting. There have been airstrikes hitting Syrian Iranian proxies. What more would you do? You have to do more of it. Um, look, I think the, the carriers is, is a deterrence for everybody, but it's not a response to attacks on American fighting men and women. So 
What you're going to need to do is, if this continues, you're going to have to increase the level of airstrikes and increase drone strikes and do that to continue to let them know that if they do this, there's going to be a price to pay with their personnel. Uh, we don't want to do that, mm -hmm. but we will have to do it if they go and they hurt American men and fighting men, men and women who are fighting for our country. Where, though? John Bolton, who served while you were in the Trump administration, you know, has for a long time been saying to stop Iran, bomb Iran. I mean, he even wrote a piece as such. Are you talking about more strikes like the Syria strikes on Iran proxies? Or are you talking about in Iran? Because if you were president, it'd be your call. Sure. No, I'm talking about Iran proxies. Look, if the attacks are from Iran proxies, then you attack those Iran proxies and debilitate them from being able to do that again. Um, I don't think you escalate it, given what's happened so far. Now, if there were to be significant loss of life, then it becomes, and you can directly connect that to Iran, then it becomes a different story. But based on what we're doing right now, yeah. I think you still go back at the Iran proxies. But what you do is you increase the, the lethality of that. Mm -hmm. You make it more lethal um, for them in terms of destroying their capability to attack us and hurting or injuring their folks if that's what they're doing ours. Uh, House Republicans have proposed $14 billion for Israel, the, the number that President Biden asked for, but they're not including Ukraine funding, and they're proposing to pay for it by rescissions to the IRS, which would actually end up costing more money to some degree. Do you agree with their approach right now? What, uh, what I think is that it's a typical negotiating tactic when you have a divided Congress, right? So they know that the Democrats in the Senate are not going to agree to exactly that proposal. Do they? Yeah, they do. They do. All of them? Uh, well... It doesn't matter if all of them, a majority of them know. Um, and I, I think the speaker certainly knows um, that that's not going to happen. So you set out a marker in a negotiation. This is what we would like uh, on our best day. The Democrats in the Senate are going to do that. And then you've got to negotiate what's going to happen in between. And I think the president needs to get involved in that because of the importance of the Israel aid package. Now, on Ukraine, I would support it being done together. But I'm encouraged by the fact that the new speaker has said he supports aid to Ukraine. And so I assume that what he wants to do to try to keep peace inside his own caucus that he just barely got elected to lead is to have separate votes on that. And I think what you'll see is a majority of Republicans uh, voting yes within the caucus and an overwhelming majority of Democrats voting yes on that. And I believe it'll ultimately pass. There you go. Um, if you were president and you were on the phone with Bibi Netanyahu, would you tell him we need humanitarian pauses? John Kirby at the White House told us yesterday we may need multiple humanitarian pauses. Do you think, I know you don't want a ceasefire, but does there need to be a pause to get some of these folks out, get Americans out, help the children? Look, I would think if we could get Americans out, um, that would be a goal for us to reach, but I don't think that would happen. I think what Hamas would want is not a pause. They would want to guarantee that Israel would not invade. Gaza at all. And we can't give them that guarantee because of the attack they perpetrated on October 7th. Uh, they killed 1,400 civilians. Uh, it's not right. It's not fair. And, and Israel needs to degrade their capability to do it again. So, and secondly, I wouldn't be telling the Prime Minister of Israel how to respond to the worst attack and murder of Jews since the Holocaust. I would say to him three things. One, you have the absolute obligation for, to protect the territorial integrity and safety and security of your citizens. Two, you have to degrade Hamas's ability to ever do this to you again. But three, keep your eye on the ball. At the end of this, what we want is the ability to isolate Iran 
by making more agreements with other Arab countries. So keep that goal in mind without me micromanaging how he's going to do a pause, no pause, mm -hmm. to keep those principles in mind. And those would yeah. be my conversations with and Netanyahu. Notable on your last point that the Saudi defense minister was at the White House this week having those discussions. Um, thank you very much. Governor. Well, thank you guys for having yeah. me. It's good to be in the studio. Come back.